Well, this morning we're returning again to the studies in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians in Corinth in first century. And today's topic is none other than the Lord's Supper. Many of us know what it is, have heard about it, very different kind of images come to our mind. But scripture will guide us, and that's one of the reasons why we will have Lord's Supper at the end of this message. The three things that we need to maybe uh, can help us as we delve into the text itself. Apostle Paul is now starting with chapter 11 to all the way to chapter 14. His new topic, his new answer of a new topic, the questions that they have written to Paul is about public worship, corporate worship, the problems happening in corporate worship. Two weeks ago, we talked about head covering of a woman. It's actually about Nothing to do with actual head covering in our culture, but it has to do with headship of a male over a female, not necessarily in any kind of subordinate, less than equal, because God the Father and God the Son had that relationship, submission to the Father, and the Father had the headship over Christ. So we simply need to really think about what would that look like if in every sense men and women are equal and then complementary roles are different. It complements each other. So we will actually visit that hot topic again in chapter 14 as um, Apostle Paul addresses the spiritual gift issue. And, then, and that time, we will, able, we will be able to talk about even more uh, tangibly and practically a woman's, in, woman's role in ministry and many other things. Today, he turns to Lord's Supper. And it's culturally quite different than our culture. We need to uh, know these three things before we go into that. And then, starting with chapter 12, he will deal with spiritual gifts. Corinth was the place that the supernatural phenomenon were happening because of many different supernatural gifts, including spiritual spiritual gifts of tongues, speaking in tongues, and prophecies. So we will get to that and Paul's admonition and guidance is just wonderful. It will help us. Once again, although this letter was written a thousand years, a couple of thousand years ago, ago, it is so relevant as if he was writing this to the Californian Christians. So back to the Lord's Supper again. Usually there are three terms, more than three, but usually three names are given to this sacrament. One is the Lord's Supper. The second was Holy Communion or Communion. And number three is Eucharist. Eucharist is the Greek word for thanksgiving. It was the early church, every time when they gathered together, this is a tangible form of giving thanks to wonderful love of God, in, which is in Christ Jesus. And then this time was a thanksgiving time, giving thanks to God. But have you noticed that Eucharist, the, the word, is usually used in more high church liturgical uh, churches? In other words, Catholic churches or, or Lutheran churches. Some of the Presbyterian churches as well. So they will refer to that as a Eucharist. And our church calls it just simply communion, right? You commune with God in communion parties there, but it is holy communion. 
Some churches will call it a Lord's Supper, but sometimes, oftentimes, Lord's Table is used. And it is instituted by Jesus Christ himself. The historical context. In our, in our days, our church is, is using actually the full bread. Um, but when I was growing up, I hated the, the paper thing that they give us, right? So it kind of melts in your mouth and a little tiny cup. So can I actually have a bunch of it could be the unleavened bread, like, you know, those um, Persian bread kind of thing. Can I eat as if I could just feel it? But anyway, as a young mind, I was thinking about things like that. The reason why it came down to a very contained form or the sacrament of a, like a program through the service is because of convenience reasons, much to do. But up until second century, the first hundreds of Christian churches, they did not separate common meal, getting together, sharing meal, and the Lord's Supper. It was actually in the beginning or in the middle and sometimes towards the end, the pastor or the shepherd will get up and break the bread and do that Lord's Supper. Uh, and then towards the end, after the, after the supper, they'll raise the cup of wine and saying, this is Jesus' blood, the new covenant. Imagine this. Early church, Acts chapter 2 church, the very first church. Spiritual renewal happened. Thousands of people, 3,000, one, one preaching, at one preaching, came to know Christ, and they were doing these house churches. And every day they broke bread. That expression is including Lord's Supper. So part of the meal is they were remembering every meal that they're having together, communally, they practice Lord's, bread, Lord's Supper. Okay. And then shared, shared everything, right? To fast forward the tape a little bit, and time-wise, when Apostle Paul reached out to Gentiles, there are few Jews who kept on uh, observing Saturday as Sabbath day, but on Sunday morning, it is called a Lord's Day because Lord Jesus was resurrected from the dead on Sunday morning. So the early morning they will gather together. Typically, much of Gentiles uh, in our culture, every Sunday is off day. And that's part of the impact of Christianity on the world culture. But up until this first century, Sunday was not a holiday. So they had to get up early to come to worship. And then they will come back because the Lord's Day, they literally commune together, hang out together, come back in the evening and there was a meal, common meal happening. Think about this common meal because um, if you're wealth, wealthy, you don't really have to work. And it's day off or day on, really doesn't matter. And you could bring whatever you want. And they will bring it and they will come early. And the poor people, including status-wise slaves, will come late. When they come late, they're coming from directly from work and whatnot, and then they don't have money. They bring little or nothing. 
So that was so actually, I'm going ahead a little bit. But historical context one more time. I need to say this. The time that they were gathering together, even our church, we in principle practice from day one, eating together, God's family eating together. It is a common meal time, communally eating the meal together. In first century church, especially the Jerusalem church, because of Holy Spirit filling the hearts of people, they, they actually gave everything they had and made a, a, a live a communal life. Not communism, but communal, communalism. Right? The voluntary spirit it was there. So much of the time the, when there's a common meal was happening was the time the wealthy people were giving generously and serving generously and all these people who are poor, who could even never have a full, satisfying meal, they could have it. They come together. Isn't that beautiful? But when Paul was moving out to the Corinth, and Corinth is like California, and people look out for themselves, and dog it, dog it, dog world kind of world. And then basically what happens is, the agape principle, they call it love feast. And at the end of love feast, um, they'll have a Lord's Supper. So the, the text that we're reading is kind of confusing to us because it's all real eating and meal time. What was the problem? Corinthian problem, as I mentioned, alluded to a little bit, and the unruly behaviors due to a couple of things. One of them is division because of wealthy people and the social, maybe high status. People are being selfish, inconsiderate. They would not wait for the people who are coming, so they will eat. To a point, they're already full and drinking a lot of wine, and before the actual Lord's Supper happening, they're a little buzzed. And imagine this. If you don't really generously share, it's a potluck deal, and you bring your own food, and some people are having little crumbs and crackers, and some people are having full-blown steak, and lobster kind of thing. Before we judge them too quickly, so imagine that first century culture. I bet those wealthy people in a mainstream culture are very accustomed to privileges. People treated them differently, and it was okay that they're eating, and their servants are not eating. They're treated better. It's, even in any society, that power struggle is there, right? Like in 50s and 60s, even some parts of the United States that way also too. The white dominant culture cannot see themselves with all the privilege that they have until they are in the marginalized position to really see that. What's wrong with this picture? So when that was happening, from our point of view, we could apply a lot of things of our, our common meal, the lunchtime thing. Because a large chunk of it is about eating together, sharing meal together. But notice Apostle Paul zeroes in, focuses on the Lord's Supper. Because it's utterly important to him. So we need to uh, think about this topic, not just saying it in a way, okay, being nice to each other and sharing meal and let's get along with each other. 
It's much more than that. Apostle Paul's concern was the Lord's Supper has so much implication of our life in Christ. Do you realize it? The very fact, the purpose of remembering what Christ has done with his precious body and his blood for our salvation. And he's going out and saying, are you taking this? In my translation, my paraphrase. To your own stupid way. And shaming the poor. Do you realize, do you even realize what you're doing? I know my translation is not that good. So <laughs> let's hear from Paul directly. Starting with verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who, are, who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I command you in this? No, I will not. Remember one of the descriptions, self-descriptions about his role is spiritual father. He's becoming a spiritual father, being honestly confronting their flaws here. So when you see these kind of problems, we might mentally check out because we don't really think of communion that way. It's very packaged and it's very nice. And we don't have to even, you know, like the Catholics would, worry about germs today. Right? Think about drinking from the same cup. We don't even have to do that. But when you look at what Paul's driving at, he's taking this as a teaching moment. He gives a theology behind Lord's Supper. That's the main point. The origin and purpose and implication of the Lord's Supper because of theological basis. Because it's God-given. Because it's instituted by Christ. I'm going to present three here. One for each. And maybe come back to the conclusion. Practical conclusion Apostle Paul gives to the Corinthian church, which is not culturally relevant to us. But the principle-wise, we could take it and apply into ours. Here's the first one. The origin of Lord's Supper is the Last Supper in which Jesus revealed himself as a sacrificial lamb for the Passover. Verse 23 starts like this. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. You know, that phrase is very intentional phrase. And I think it's a, it was a very common in the first century, when apostles were teaching, the authority has come from Lord Jesus, not their per per private, personal, strong opinion. And Paul is basically using the phrase, this has come from the Lord Jesus himself. And it's not my take on this topic is, this is the authority of Lord Jesus himself. He has received it. That's why he is called apostle. Um, not necessarily Lord Jesus comes to him and says, oh, let me tell you what exactly happened. 
maybe those happenings and incidents were passed on from the apostles, other apostles, uh, the people. But Lord Jesus revealing the purpose and the vision and the theological basis was from Jesus himself. So we go back actually to that first century when Jesus on Thursday night gathered disciples and had a last supper. And that was the time for the Passover. The feast of unleavened bread starts. What is that about? Passover was the the most important holidays for the Jewish people. That Passover celebrated God's mercy over Israel people in Egypt that he actually used that tenth plague to deliver them out of the slavery of Egypt. Many of you are already familiar with that. Let me just go just briefly on that. Exodus 12, verse 7 and 8 and then 11. Then this is God himself speaking to Moses to tell them then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the door, two door posts. Maybe I, I, I have to go back and reel myself in a little bit. As you know, if you watch Ten Commandment movie, um, <laughs> God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So every plague was just detrimental to them but he was kept on changing his mind. No, you will not go. You, you, we need you guys as our slavery. So tenth one was the ultimate plague. Was every first son, including Pharaoh's son, and including all the flocks. The first, the animal was born. That was born, will die. At this tonight. But to show God's mercy over Israel. This is all foreshadowing. Pointing to Jesus. To think about this. And the instruction is. Kill a lamb. Spotless you lamb. And then. You shall take the sum of the blood. And put it on the two door post. And into lintel. Lintel of the houses. In which. They eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire, with unleavened bread. Unleavened meant, it's symbolically, leavened bread is leaven, symbolizes sin. So sinlessness and bitter herbs days they shall eat. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Why? Because Pharaoh, in the middle of the night, he's seeing his son died, and many of the Egyptians crying, weeping, mourning over first son's death, that he will let them go. Your God is too powerful. Not only I will let them go, I need you to be out of here right now, right this moment. That's what happened. So God commands them with your staff and belt fastened, ready to go anytime. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beast, and on all gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you destroy you to destroy you 
when I strike the land of Egypt. What was happening in Old Covenant and Old Testament period foreshadowing Christ. So when Jesus showed up, John the Baptist called him, look, the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. The Hebrews, the Jewish people understood. This is an object lesson. But Israelites thought that it was just for themselves. But God's sovereign plan for the whole world is that anyone who applies Jesus' blood by grace, through faith, God's judgment will pass over them. So just imagine the Last Supper. Jesus is passing the bread and having the Passover meal. They're fully aware of implication. God's special love on Israelites. But he's saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in in remembrance of me. And this is my blood shed in the new covenant. You shall do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. So what was happening in, in this is basically as Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper, the real thing has come. The foreshadowing need, shadow, was not necessary anymore. Jesus was the Lamb. But think about this. Old Testament is not complete complete in a way. Old covenant is not complete because every single year they have to sacrifice a lamb for atonement of the sins of the people. But Jesus' blood was once for all because this is a real thing has come. A question in mind. What about the Israelites who put uh, the blood on door doorposts in the, in the lintel and they're sitting there. Some of them were kind of doubting. I wonder if that would really happen. Think about this. Our faith, small faith, in the sovereign plan and grace of God, what is really important is the objective plan of God and God has placed on in Jesus Christ. Anyone, regardless with how much doubtful they might have, who are in the house and blood on the doorpost, the angel of the death passed over. Which means that when we think about becoming a Christian and what not, there's just so many to-do lists and other things. Right? Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I should take care of this first. But if you come under the Jesus and his blood is received by you, simple faith and by grace, grace means you don't deserve it. This wonderful news was unpacked. That was the origin. Second, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to commemorate and proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus in the new covenant. Verse 23 again, but we're, we're going to stick to the text itself today. I mean, this time around. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Jesus spelled out very clearly twofold purpose of why we should do this. And come to think of it, I think this is the wisdom of God who is all-knowing, whose wisdom is far beyond any human wisdom. Why is that? Well, we tend to forget things, right? So how many times um, we made up our mind, I need to be grateful and I need to honor my mom or my dad, but something triggers and you, you just become very disrespectful, especially aging mother or aging father who might not function that well. My mom just turned 80, and we celebrate her 80th birthday, and all the adults are sitting around her. And every single one of us confessed our sins. Mom, so I'm so sorry for raising my voice, losing my temper. I should have been more respectful. No, don't you, I, I want you to know how much I love you. I, I said that. And my brother couldn't say much of anything, right? Because of his speech imp- impediment. He just didn't want to say anything when I forced him almost. Just saying one sentence. With just full tears, he said, Sorry, Mom. I'm so sorry. This says thousands of words right there. Because he himself is suffering. Everybody, the whole, everyone in the room got so quiet. I'm going to take that and bring it to our uh, God's wisdom and the commanding us to observe this regularly. This is a forget-me-not memo from our loving Christ, from our spiritual amnesia we've been suffering, that we, our heart becomes very boastful and arrogant when things go well. But he said, come to the Lord's table. Do this. Eat the bread and drink this cup as my body broken on the cross for you. My every single drop of blood shed for you, for your sins and past and present and future sins, that they, God the Father, might see you spotless lamb, sinless, righteous, because the blood applied to you. Let me ask you this. Just to know, want you to know that this is not just a religious blast, Okay? Christians do believe. And if you call yourself Christian, you need to confront yourself with this question. Do you believe, not because you're righteous, not because your faith is strong enough, not because you've done enough of good works, but because the blood of Jesus applied to you, when you come to Jesus by faith and faith alone, in Christ and Christ alone, through grace and grace alone, that every single sin, your past and present and future sin, has been wiped out. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you don't have the confidence and freedom from your conscience, that someone who loves you so much to pay the penalty of every single sin, you're going to live legalistically. When you do well, you're going to feel proud. When you not do so well, you feel shamed. And you want to just hide somewhere. So God's wisdom is come to the table. Do this and remember that I died for you. Remember I loved you so much. Remember nothing can stop me from loving you. Remember, remember there is not a sin big enough that cannot be covered by, by, by blood. Do you believe that? Today, when we share the Lord's Supper, if you are Christian, you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
I'm going to invite you and come in such a way that, Lord, I, I believe. Help my lack of belief. That is the purpose of Lord's Supper. Secondly, when you look back, the origin is way all the way to Passover and the first last supper, right? But in the future, the Lord is coming back. The Lord's return. And then our command is, until that, hap- that, that happens, proclaim the Lord's death. Which means that it is not just for Christians, but the non-Christians that we are proclaiming the death of Jesus as a way of God's salvation. Yes, the way of cross is a foolishness to, to the world. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Of course, as I am going to clarify during our Lord's Supper time, it is for those who are, who, who are believers in Christ. And we're not inviting non-Christians to come participate in this. But we are actually inviting non-Christians to watch the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the death of Christ on the cross. The resurrection of cross. Resurrection of body of Jesus as well. Men and women, brothers and sisters, listen to me. In the savvy world of our 21st century postmodern world, a lot of things will shifting. But the essence of the gospel, what it means to really believe in Jesus Christ, this is it. There is no self-righteousness good enough to be accepted by God. This is God's reminder for us. Would you come, my children, remember this every time when you do this. So, Early churches probably did more than weekly. Every time they get they get together, because they get together quite often, especially Jerusalem church, maybe several times a week. But at least even um, in the European uh, Greek churches or you know those Gentile churches, every week on they gather as they gather on the Lord's day. They observed. Lord's Supper. In our church, we try to do at least once a month. Maybe in the future, as God leads, we could do more. Uh, do more often. But one thing is clear. We need our reminders. To remember Jesus' sacrificial death and to proclaim proclaim the gospel of Christ in the cross. John L. W. Stein, um helps us to think clearly on theological matter. Uh, some of you might have a Catholic background. And the Catholics believe trans-substitute substantiation it's a mouthful word basically what it says is that when the priest blessed over the bread and the wine supernaturally miraculously it actually becomes body of Christ and blood of Christ and that you need that in your system so that's where basically it gives you life most if not all Evangelical and Reformed churches reject that vigorously because it's not biblical at all. And John Stott gives us a really clear point, and he actually quotes Hugh Latimer, the 16th century Reformed theologian pastor, who were confronted by 
the powerful political leaders of Catholic Church unless you take it back that you would believe transubstantiation you will die today and right before he got he died under Paul and he was on fire he said some of these words and John Stott quotes it there is a change in the bread and wine and such a change as no power but the omnipotency of God can make in that which before uh, was bread should now have the dignity to exhibit Christ's body. And yet the bread is still bread and the wine is still wine for the change is not in the nature but the dignity. It is sometimes called transsignification in distinction to transubstantiation for the change which is in mind is one of significance, not, the, not substance. As the officiant offers the bread and wine to our bodies, so Christ offers his body and blood to our souls. Our faith looks beyond the symbols to the reality they present, represent. And even as we take the bread and wine and feed on them in our mouths by eating and drinking, so we feed on Christ, crucified in our hearts by faith. The parallel is so striking, and the corresponding words of administration are so personal that the moment of reception becomes a many communicants, a direct faith encounter with Jesus Christ. To put it simply, it is not a miraculous substance change in the body, in the bread and the wine, into Jesus' body and blood, that we need some kind of uh, supernatural nutrition that gives life. No, it is actually we believe that Holy Spirit empowers us to encounter Jesus' body and, and the blood and sacrificial death in the symbolic encounter. So today, the bread is bread. But as we pray, as we share with each other, Holy Spirit will nudge you. Holy Spirit will bring up some of the things you have forgotten. His grace and mercy. So now, I want to close in an implication. Really quickly, the implication of the Lord's Supper is we are to participate in Christ's death for its benefits in a worthy manner. Not only remember, proclaim, but to participate. Participate in the benefits of Christ's death, that we do need that. In verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread and or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself rather than redemption, benefits of Christ's death. Verse 30, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned among with the world. So Paul basically becomes very practical in a way. When you, when you approach the Lord's Supper, even in mingle with the love feast, be aware of that. You really need to think about this Lord's table is a symbol of Christ's death. 
Grace and salvation is free to us, but it costed everything to God. See, the worthy manner involves two things. Self-examination. And basically, looking into our, our, our hearts, our motives. Rather than selfishness, we need to really think about, God, I want to please you, give my life to you. And that vertical relationship can never be separated from the horizontal relationship loving others. But I become considerate and thoughtful about others around me. So lest some of you really think that many, many people misunderstood this text, the self-examination is like this. This is what not to do, including today. Uh, I've been walking away from God. You know, I've been having a lot of this envies and uh, like uh, I've been coveting a lot of things and a lot of you know lustful eyes and all these things. Oh, I haven't been a good Christian. I, I haven't even gone to church for a long time, or whatever that might be. So today I'm going to pass because I need to have self-examination. You got it totally wrong here. What Paul is saying, who needs the Lord's table more than anything? Someone who is hopeless because of sin. Someone who is just saying, I am done. I don't think I could do any better. I don't think if I were God, I would not accept myself. Come, Lord Jesus says, without money, without your list of self-righteousness. Come to receive the free gift of God, the mercy and joy and love. All I want is your heart. And this is a good news, brothers and sisters. And with this uh, kind of size of uh, audience, I, I cannot just assume that everybody has a relationship with Christ. And if I am a true pastor who really pleases God, I cannot skip this part. I urge you, in the name of Christ, that you will open your heart to Christ's gift, free gift for your redemption. He paid all the price with his blood. Your past and future and present sin has been paid for. The forgiveness is preceding, preceding you. And what is required of you is Simple faith, open hand to receive. Give him your heart. Give him your throne. For those of you who are believers, as we take this, let's pray for new joy and new recognition of God's grace. And don't go to that dark place of self-righteousness. And if you think that you're really pretty good, that's the time that you really need to be careful about, isn't it? In conclusion, um, Paul becomes very practical. Like I said, the principle is come to the Lord's table and with a reverent fear and thoughtfulness for the body of Christ. But to them, to the Corinthian uh, church, he becomes very practical. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, so when you come together to eat, wait for one another. How simple is that? Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. For about other things, I will give directions when I come. Think about this. Wait for one another and eat. If you're really hungry, 
so that you will have a reverent fear when you come, come to the table. What's the, the timeless implication, principle for our worship? Our love for God and our love for one another are two essential, inseparable requirements in public worship that God pleases. God is pleased by that. Would you bow your head with me? In the quietness of your heart, in this room, I want to reassure you that God loves you so much he gave his own begotten son. Don't protect yourself with self-righteousness. Any kind of rationalization is excuses. How will you respond to God? What has God spoken to you? Would you hang on to just one? And be childlike, simple. Lord, I believe. Help my lack of belief. I surrender my sins, my guilt, my burdens, all to you. You are my Lord, my Master, my King, and my God. Father, that's our prayer. No matter how much uh, we've done right things in our own sight, we come so short before you. Thank you so much for your abundant grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we may be able to see that. Teach us to remember, proclaim, and participate in the death of Jesus Christ as the good news. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.